Podcasts for gamers and game designers with your hosts, the people who respond to any awkward situation with finger guns, Shelby and Aiden. How are you today, Shelby? Hi, Aiden. I do that all the time. I do the same. <laughs> so, speaking of finger guns and trigger-related things, <laughs> <laughs> great. This episode's going to have a, a bit of a trigger warning. Yeah. So, in this episode, we're going to be discussing violence in video games, and this includes some brief um, kind of examples of violence, as well as a super brief discussion of sexual violence in video games. We just want our viewers to be able to take care of themselves. And if this episode isn't for you, that's totally okay. And we'll see you on the next one. But we just wanted to put that out there. If there's any younger viewers or um, whatever you need. Um, yeah. So without anyway. further ado, let's begin. So we can all kind of agree that violence is just taking an action that harms someone or something. But the, the role the violence plays takes it on a different context in video games. Yeah. So... In the context of video games, I think we can all kind of agree that as a player, you are taking an action and oftentimes the player is the one who is directly involved in the violent actions that are being taken place. So unlike a film, for example, where you are sitting back as a viewer and watching what's happening or a reader and kind of reading yeah. about what's happening, it's a it's a different thing. You as the consumer of the media are all of a sudden much more implicated in the event. Yes, exactly. So it's a little bit different for how video games are treated in terms of the violence that they portray and that we as the players take part in. So let's talk about violence done well in games. So I think this was best outlined in a Gamma Sutra article by Lee Alexander from a few years ago, where she outlines five different approaches to uh, uh, taking handling violence well in video games. Awesome. So the first one is when violence is necessary to the narrative is is a good one. So this is basically violence, not just for the sake of violence, but because it, it has a part in the narrative and it, and it contributes something to the game in that way. So the examples of this are the game Bioshock. So Bioshock is where at the end you have to kill Fontaine he was he was using you the whole game to do his own violence on his on his behalf and by killing him at the end the players regain their own agency in the violence so it's an important act it's not just about killing him because you need to kill him it's killing him for a sake of a narrative beat yeah another game that's a, i think a really important example for this episode is called lady killer in a bind this is more of an indie title that was released as kind of a visual novel style where the player gets to choose what dialogue they basically end up saying this game is focused on bdsm experiences with kind of sexual intercourse um, and those experiences just kind of like a wide variety of the things that can happen um, including you know like safe wor safe words what does consent mean different scenarios it's, it's 50 shades of great the game right <laughs> no no it's it's much better um, I haven't personally played the game myself but I've done a lot of reading on it and the way that it, it kind of uses this idea of sexual violence but in the way that um, both parties are consensual um, it's just kind of like a different sort of kink if if you will um, and they do it in a really respectful and safe way. And so that's a really good example of, you know, a kind of a sexual violence that is within the narrative, but it's not sexual violence as we would understand maybe assault would happen. It's it's consensual and it's safe. Um, and I think it's it's a, it's a nice way to explore those topics um, with while respecting the player. So another good example. So another method, which is I think probably the most commonplace one we see in video games, is when it's when it's absurd, when the violence is kind of meant to be yeah. funny and ridiculous. So yeah, so these not just cartoons, but like even a, a realistic game, like I don't know, like Skyrim, kind of looks kind of real. Well, well at least when, it did when, when it came out. When, when the ragdoll physics happened, that's <laughs> but when yeah, we're exactly. really getting into the so absurd. That's what we mean, like the ragdoll physics. But that like kind the example you put here for games like Super Smash Bros. and Overwatch, mm -hmm. and it was funny that like we were kind of bringing this up. We were talking about what kind of violence Overwatch employs, and yeah. I said something to the effect of. 
I don't see Overwatch as a violent game. I see Overwatch as a sport. <laughs> I kind of like, I looked at you and I was like, okay, Aiden, so now, you know, s- sports are, are violence. You've, you've turned violence into a sport. Now, as Canadians, you that. may already argue that ice hockey may already cross that threshold a few years ago, <laughs> but um, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Yeah, but it was I, an interesting point to note. I think it's just something to, to be aware of as, as we see these kind of cartoony games. They are depicting acts of violence and they may not be, you know, as perhaps gratuitous violence as we yeah. think of when we think of the word violence, but they're still violent nonetheless. And especially because, you know, Aiden and myself too, we kind of think of the game as a sport. Well, that's violence as a sport then, even though it's probably less uh, lower down on the totem so that, pole. That's as category as, uh, 1.5. Yeah, yeah. As far violence, as, as, violence <laughs> as a sport. Exactly. All right. So another method, which is a little bit rarer, is when the game is commenting on the violence itself. So the example we put here was Spec Ops The Line, which is a game that is all about violence and kind of how it can be a terrible thing and is almost kind of like a parody of the Call of Duty game's um, depiction of violence. Yeah, uh, I think to keep in mind too, if you're if you're a designer out there who wants to do a parody of something, it can be really tricky to walk that line without... I guess a, a satire uh, is the more accurate Yeah, with a, sa- a satire or a parody, um, it can be tricky to walk that line without leaning too heavily into the material because then you would just end up reproducing it rather than, you know, satirizing it. Um, so tricky to do, but when done well, I think it I think it really works and, and really sends... Um, can tell a good story. So that was, that's yeah. a pretty cool one. This next one is one of my favorites, is violence is done well when the violence is optional. So yeah. consider a game like Dishonored, where everyone you kill, you're killing at your own volition. You do not have to kill anyone in that game. If you kill someone, it's usually because you're trying to make your own life easier and make the objective easier. Yeah, it's either stealth or kind of kill everybody. And you can, either way is correct, either way is totally acceptable. I think this one is powerful because it kind of lends, it lets a game be open to violence, but also letting people who don't want to be violent get involved as well. You get to take as much or as little as you want as the player. You yeah. You a lot of agency. Yeah, it doesn't cut anybody out of the of the playing experience. Or at least it tries not to, which is nice. The final way that Alexander notes is when a game makes you feel powerful through its violence. So consider like the God of War reboot, that a lot of the game's combat mechanics are designed to be very visceral and make you feel very strong as this deific figure fighting these much weaker individuals. Yeah, definitely. But we have an asterisk here where the this idea of power and making the player feel powerful, um, it can also be you know equally as important to check that power. And by that, I mean where the player is not always the one that is correct in using that power to basically evoke violence. So that just means that having a game like The Witcher 3, for example, Wild Hunt, which I think does this really well, where it's not always clear if Geralt, that's the protagonist, is kind of like doing the right thing. It's not always clear what the right thing is to do. And I think in that way, it sort of questions the violence, not only that Geralt is kind of enacting, but that the people around him are doing and what they have done. Um, and it kind of says, well, you know, this is kind of a gray area. What is good? What is bad? Um, so I think that's a really a really good way to also employ, you know, these acts of violence that, yeah, sure, they're powerful, but does that mean that it's okay? And I think that's a really interesting question that we can explore with video games. So that's just also something to keep in mind. And this may, seems like, we, this may seem like we've just thrown a lot of different methods at you. But, I mean, at the end of the day, Alexander also kind of points out that violence can just kind of be fun for some people for just an inexplicable reason, regardless of how it is being employed by the game designers, and that's okay. Yeah, I think it's totally okay, because for me personally, I love the game Doom from the like the reboot 2016 one, and I think it's just so fun after, like, especially after a stressful day, to just sit down and like pull out a shotgun and shoot some demons. And that's, def- and, that's definitely leading into the and, make you feel powerful uh, Yeah, yeah, and I think violence. that's, you know, it's just, it's just a good time, and I think that's totally okay. With this episode, I don't, I don't want it to sound like we're saying, oh, if you like violent games, like... What are you doing? Like, no, of course not. We're this just, is, this uh, is by no means a dogmatic approach to no, violence. This no. is a discussion. Exactly. 
But well, if we're going to take anything away from the Lee Alexander <laughs> article, be smart about how you employ violence in game design. Yeah, I think it's really important, you know, to to ask some some serious questions and step back and say, okay, if we're having violence in this game, why? Let's let's really dig deep to find some, I think, some interesting and new ways to employ violence that may be a little bit more careful, a little bit more tender, maybe more meaningful than we've done in the past. Like I think as game designers, we should always be trying to do better. Um, and I think, you know, when it comes to violence in games, I think we should always be asking the question, how can we do better? Because um, I think there's if, always ways to do it. And if the baseline is, why did you fight that guy? It's because because he was going to attack me. I think we can top that. But yeah, totally. That's just, that's totally. Just, that's just speculation. <laughs> yeah. All right. So moving on from that article, if, we're, if, if that's what good violence in video games looks like, so that kind of raises the obvious question, what does bad violence look like? And this was a much harder question for us to answer. Yeah, you, we kind of thought that, okay, if this is what good violence is, then the direct opposite is obviously bad violence. But that's that's not really the case. I mean, there's so many, for one thing, there's so many different kinds of violence um, that can go on. I don't want to, like, give examples right now, but, you know, like, just weapons for, like, guns, knives, yeah. swords, whatever, right? There's so many different things you can do with those, which is kind of scary. Um, but there's even, also... Even verbal violence. Yeah, like, even there's verbal a whole violence. Spectrum. Definitely. But there's also, you know, with that, so many different ways that it can be portrayed. And because of this, everybody in the world <laughs> who, you know, is, you know, a human being, everybody has a different idea and comfort level for where they draw the line as to when violence becomes too much for them. Some people don't like violence in video games at all. They just, they just don't enjoy playing those kinds of, those kinds of games and, and seeing those stories, which is totally fine and valid. Um, and I think that's totally okay. But because of those reasons, it's hard to say, well, this violence is too much where it's and, like, and this okay, isn't. Shooting someone's okay, but stabbing someone is too personal. Like, yeah. That's not up for us to decide where that line is. Yeah. I don't think it's for anyone to decide where that line is. Yeah, exactly. But I think, you know, I think there are certain things in society that are kind of looked down upon um, that I think a lot of people would agree there is a line there. Um, like, I don't know, targeting minority groups, women, children, stuff like that. I think the line gets a little bit more, <laughs> maybe not. A little bit more apparent. But... A little bit more apparent. But even then, you know, some people... And we're not here to say, you know, what is right or wrong. We're just here to say, when you're designing games, know where the line is, not only for yourself, but for the people who you are marketing this game to. Now, that being said, the one thing we did kind of agree on was that it is problematic when violence is endorsed as something that is good. That yeah. the violence itself is a good thing. Yeah. I just don't think that sends, like, not only, like doesn't send a very great message to the player base, but it, I don't think it's a very useful one or interesting one either. Um, mostly because, you know, violence in the real world is such a horrible, horrible thing. Um, and, you know, endorsing it in a way that says, oh, like, it's good, everybody should do this, and, you know, endorsing it through a video game is just sort of like, mm, I don't know, I feel like there are better stories to tell, and I think that could seriously get into some problematic areas, especially depending on where that line is for the people who are designing that game. Um, so we're not saying, again, that, oh no, you know, video games shouldn't have violence, we're just saying, what is the kind of violence, and what are you saying about the violence that's in that game? Yeah. So an argument you'll often encounter when people are trying to defend violence, whether it's something as common as like shooters and call of duty something more specific like some of the more gratuitous scenes in heavy rain mm -hmm. is that violence can be viewed as an escapist fantasy mm -hmm. that this is something that a person knows they can't do in the real world but they do in a video game just to get it out of their system mm -hmm. now this is like this can kind of be equated to just like <laughs> like it's kind of like the way we justify the existence of weird porn yeah yeah 
so what do you think of this? Should, should, should we be catering to violent fantasies? I mean, <laughs> I, I, so my, my reasoning for this is no. Um, and it's because not only, you know, it's not really for us as, you know, two people, Aiden and Shelby, to say where the line is. Like, that's not up to us. We're just two people among, you know, billions in the world. Um, but I think at some point, you know, a person has to get help beyond just, like, venting their fantasies into a video game and actually needs to, like, step back and reflect on, like, okay, I, I really enjoy, like, hurting people, for example. Like, maybe that's not the most healthy way to think about others and the world. Um, and also, I think, you know, by by kind of feeding into some of these fantasies, we risk normalizing these behaviors. And so somebody who boots up a game who feels that their fantasy, which is like extremely violent, I'm not talking about like the, the BDSM game that I think handled it in a really respectful way. I'm talking about, you know, just totally over the top stuff. Um, yeah, we, sh we should never normalize Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> yeah. But you know, there's there's a difference between treating a topic tactfully and Sorry, just... A quick addendum. When I say oh, yeah. I don't mean the BDSM part, I mean crappy movies. Oh yes, of course, of course. And books. <laughs> Yeah, everybody's into what they're into, right? And if and if you're not into BDSM, that's totally okay, of course. <laughs> but if you're into the Fifty Shades of Grey media, um, uh, <laughs> hey, hey, there's you know, uh, I'm gonna there's stop something, there. there's something for everybody, okay? <laughs> but you know, I think if a game pops up that is you know extremely violent and uh, in its tendencies, and you know portrays a horrible act of violence for somebody else to perhaps fetishize, um, I think that person who is fetishizing that might see that game and think, oh, there are people out there who think that this is fine and who agree with me. And other people may see that and think, oh, is like, is this a thing now? Like, is this becoming normal? I think it might reaffirm a lot of people's maybe points of view about that, which I think isn't, isn't the best in terms of, you know, hurting other people. I think when other people are at stake and, you know, people's well-being is at stake, I don't know that, you know, feeding into violence against others is the best way to kind of get around that. I think perhaps fetishes in video games could be a thing if they were handled tactfully and in, you know, safe spaces that emphasize consent and respect with a partner um, or multiple partners, you know, whatever people are into. I'm trying to be very, you know, inclusive with this. Um, so I apologize if I missed, of course, some some groups of people. Um, but, you know, I, I just think that there are, there are really great ways to do it and there are really awful ways to do it. And I just... Yeah, <laughs> it's a complex thing. Once again, we conclude that there's a spectrum. Yeah, it's it's a spectrum. It's it's a complex thing because everybody is different, right? Like, I don't want to speak for anybody and I don't want to, you yeah. know, take anybody's voice away. And I recognize that so many different people have so many different levels of comfort and and ideas about, you know, what they need and what other people should need and, and stuff like that. Right. So that's why that's why this is so hard. <laughs> OK, so the next thing we want to discuss is. Uh, when a game is themed with violence. When I talk about this is, uh, the example we're going to use to illustrate this is Magic the Gathering. Yeah. So the, the story behind the mechanics of Magic the Gathering is that you and your opponent are two wizards trying to beat each other, trying to kill each other with mystical creatures, with spells, with lightning bolts, usually lightning bolts, and all sorts of things. Now, we actually had a difference in opinion on this. Is my opinion with that, that is the best theme you could come up with for Magic the Gathering. That is a big part of it. And the design team has always been very conscious of that when designing Magic the Gathering. Now, you thought that, like, what if we change the theme of Magic the Gathering to be like, let's not, like, kill your opponents. Let's say first person to score 20 points wins. Mm -hmm. 20, 20 goals, 20 whatevers. Yeah. So it's no longer, the, the theme of the game is no longer killing your opponents. All of the mechanics are still intact. The game still plays the same in theory. And I thought that would make the game worse. I, th yeah. I thought that would make the game less enjoyable. And I admit that I am biased in this regard as a big Magic <laughs> the Gathering fan. But do you want to defend your side? Yeah, well, I just... 
<laughs> I do disagree. And I think part of the reason I disagree is because I know that you're so biased. And I think that you're looking at this game as just kind of like a pinnacle of game design that you admire so much. So I think that <laughs> personally, you're a little kind of clouded by by this kind of like pedestal that you've rightly put it. Magic the Gathering is a fantastic game. But I think if it didn't have the same violent outcome of, okay, you know, 20 life points just, you know, decimate them from your opponent... I think, I think it would be just as good a game. And the reason I think that is because not everybody enjoys violence. And I think that a lot of people, I think even including myself, would still maybe even love magic more <laughs> if it if it had, you know, the lack of killing your opponent. And you see, like, um, that's a completely defensible position, but now we've reached the problem is, like, what makes Magic the Gathering appealing to the most to the broadest audience possible? And that's well, a much more difficult question. Well, that's question. the thing, too. See, is Magic appealing because of its flavor? Not, And I'm not talking about its flavor in terms of murdering your opponent. I'm talking about its flavor in terms of, you know, having, having creatures, having spells, having dragons right. under your control. You know, is it that that people love and that, you know, seriousness? Or is it murdering your opponent? And I would argue it's the first one. It's the flavor of the game. Murdering your opponent is just like that extra thing for like what the game goal is. I think you could change the game goal and still have a fantastic game. But that's just me. And that's just me. <laughs> I disagree, but that's where we're going to land on this. <laughs> and that's okay. That's fine. <laughs> and just on the subject of competitive games, there's always the case to be made that there's going to be kind of like this, like there's going to be like a dominance aspect no matter what yeah. kind of is, whether it's violence or not, like consider a game of like basketball versus like a game of call of duty in basketball if you win 117 to 3 it's, it's a dominating performance right yeah and you and by, feel good about that you and feel by the good, same token you know, winning doing something well but by the same token if you win a game of call of duty 25 to 3 it's also a dominating performance like it's the same thing you kind of get that feeling if you, you really beat your opponent you did a great yeah. job they stood no chance mm -hmm. and i think a problem that violence adds to this though is it kind of creates this idea that your opponent is the enemy outside of outside of the game like after you play a game of basketball, you can go and sit down and be like, have a beer with your opponents. Like, you know, like, outside of the context of the game, they're still a human. Mm -hmm. But once you add this violence aspect, especially in the context of video games where you're literally killing your opponent, like, mm -hmm. I guess I'm thinking of something like paintball or something in your life, yeah. you're still this kind of, kind of violent. <laughs> yeah. But in the context of video game where you're trying to kill your opponent, you kind of start to realize, like, this person is just my enemy in every possible level. Yeah. And I think that's a problem that violence can... That's a problematic aspect of violence in video games is it kind of really leans into this idea of dominance in like a really problematic way. Yeah. Because um, you can play soccer you can play soccer or basketball or something and still be okay with it and still be friends with the person. But if you shoot someone in real life, that's a very different thing. <laughs> yeah. So the the Call of Duty analog to real life is dramatically different than the soccer analog in a video game is to the real life soccer. Yeah. So it's kinda of like at the end of the day, you know, violence is not a game. Um Whereas, yeah, that's, that's a much more concise way of saying things. Whereas sports are. Sports can be video games, sports can be real-life games, right? Violence is not quite the same. Um, and, you know, I think violence have their, their place in video games, especially in terms of, you know, like we said at the beginning, sitting down and kind of releasing all your stress from the day, just having a good time, feeling powerful, feeling good, um, feeling engaged with a medium and being excited about, you know, getting to the next level and, and maybe setting a new high score and besting yourself and all that good stuff. Um but I think this is just something to be aware of and how how we process what video games are showing us, especially in terms of something called othering. Um, so for those who don't know, the other is a person who is someone other than ourselves. And basically, in relation to them, we struggle to understand anything about them because we've just decided, OK, they're so different than me that you ba basically you no longer see them as human even. Um, so that's kind of like the, the base definition for now. But I think video games have a tendency, especially I think in, you know, in war games, 
Um, and of course, not all war games. I'm just saying that, you know, a couple of them can have kind of more of a shallow view of, okay, this is the enemy. Ask no questions. It's very black and white, good versus evil, um, which I think is kind of a limiting perspective. And, and I know some games have gone to, I think the Battlefield series did a really good job with, um, you know, asking, telling more personal stories and asking more questions about, you know, is this necessary? Who are we fighting? That kind of stuff. Just kind of giving faces to people rather than either like stereotypes or caricatures or just like just empty kind of like clones that you just like shoot down. Um, and I think it's important to be able to to empathize with others and for games to relay that empathy, especially when it comes to violence. Um, you know, I think in, in some cases in games, it's okay to feel bad about, you know, taking somebody's life, even in a game. Like, I think that could be a very valuable experience. And, you know, maybe not all the time, because I think that would get really sad and depressing. No, I will never feel bad about <laughs> killing a drunk rat. <laughs> yeah, maybe not drunk rat. Um, but, you know, I, I think I'm such a big believer that games have this wonderful capacity to to help us feel empathy for others. And, you know, with violence, what better way to do that than, than tell these really personal stories that it's tough to make those choices, it's tough to do those things. Um, and, you know, experience things that we would never be able to experience. Like, I hope I will never kill anybody. That is something that I would never, ever want to do. In real life. In, in real, real life. life. <laughs> in real life. But in a video game, I could, you know, have that experience and, you know, maybe like feel that guilt in, in a safe environment or, or feel the ramifications of my actions or, or see them in a family and kind of, you know, be able to empathize with other people who have who have had, you know, loved ones taken or, or been on the other side or something like that. Right. There's just there's just so many things you can do with video games. And I, I want to continue to like tap into that as designers and like keep pushing for something better. Yeah. I kind of went on a tangent there. I'm sorry. Well, welcome to Panic Mode, everyone. <laughs> All right. So one last bag of worms we wanted to open is the idea that video games cause real-world violence. Yeah. So <laughs> there's lots of studies that say there is no correlation between people who play video games and their likeliness to do to perform real-world violence, and some say there is. Now, the problem is there's accusations of bias on both sides of these kind of studies that people say it's like, oh, you guys hired people who you knew were going to find this conclusion or X mm -hmm. or Y conclusion. Mm -hmm. And admittedly, like, even, like, us as people who are game designers and gamers and people who are passionate enough about games to make a podcast about it are likely going to fall on the side in favor of video games, that they do not cause violence. Yeah. So the most unbiased way I'm going to try to put this debate <laughs> is that statistically, at least in Canada, the, the rate of reported violent crime rates has gone down in the last 20 years, while the rate of video games or the average amount of video games a person plays has gone up dramatically. Mm-hmm. I think that's as simple as I'm going to leave it for now. I'm yeah. going to try not to open this too much. But there is like a bit, a lot of political rhetoric behind this. Yeah, and I think it's upsetting because I think a lot of the, from what we've seen in the media now, you know, in Canada, but more so in the United States, like I'll just be honest, um, is that this kind of rhetoric about video games causing violence comes from people who don't maybe play video games or kind of understand the media. They're and, just kind of looking at something to blame. And if you want an amazing um, example of this, look <laughs> at that video that the White House uploaded earlier this year. That was just uh, an unlisted YouTube video that we're going to link it in the show notes that um, it, it just shows a bunch of random violence in video games. Yeah. And what's hilarious about this <laughs> is this isn't even footage they captured. It's footage they ripped off of other YouTube channels that still has the watermarks on it in some instance. Oh my goodness. So if you didn't need any evidence that these people weren't playing games, they didn't play the games to get this footage. Yeah. And even more so, it's like sometimes this footage isn't even gameplay. It's like a cutscene. So there was no player agency. Mm -hmm. So if they're really going to ascribe to their own argument, that means they should be criticizing film, films that are violent. Yeah. And any sort of non-interactive medium. Because yeah. the violence is not being put on 
on the player. Yeah. But they just want to blame something they don't fully understand. Yeah, I think because video games right now, they're they're still, you know, they're still pretty new. And the, the industry is just expanding at like an insane yeah. rate. So many new things and ideas and, and stories are being told. And I think people are kind of like, well, some, some, not everybody, obviously gamers are like, yeah, this is awesome. But like some other, you know, people are kind of like, well... I, this is weird, like, what is happening? And it's an easy thing to, like, point your finger at and be like, that's new, and it's, therefore, that's it's the wrong. Problem. Therefore, it's the problem, right? Um, These kids and their video <laughs> games and their marijuanas and their oh, movies man. and their rock stars and their... Yeah, so I, th- I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's just, this is an argument to be aware of and just sort of understand that... And look, it's like, it, it, it's politics. We're it's, not going to yeah, get into politics. too much... I think just be aware that, you know, the violence in video games, you know, I don't think that it causes people to be violent in turn. What I do think is that it can normalize violence. I don't think that makes people be violent. I think it can maybe decrease our empathy for others or maybe like increase our apathy toward it, um, which, you know, isn't great, but it doesn't lead to people being being violent. but most yeah. indications seem to suggest there is no correlation. And that's yes, the most we can exactly. go off of yeah, right now. No correlation. And of course, like we're just a lot of this stuff is very understudied because video games are so new and so we don't have a lot of conclusions. Not just about violence, but but kind of what I was talking about. Like, oh, like does it does it lead to more apathy towards like being de- does, does desensitized? It, does it and, yeah. Exactly. And we don't know. I think we can just sort of sort of kind of do our best. <laughs> is it decreasing violence because people get to vent their frustrations to 12 year old kids on call of duty rather than going out and punch someone in the face yeah Who it's knows? hard to you it's know, hard to say, to say probably, <laughs> yeah though. <laughs> yeah we don't know so just you know treasure video games and, and love what you love just and just be critical whenever someone gets deep into that political rhetoric just shrug and walk away yeah anyway just want to move into takeaways yeah so i'm gonna like i would <laughs> underline this as much as i can it's okay to like violent video games, regardless of how the violence is portrayed, so long as you at the same time realize that violence is wrong in the real world. Yes, yeah, and I think this is kind of, this kind of seems to be like a like a binary thing in the past, or at least kind of what from what I've heard is that you can't say that, you know, oh, violence isn't okay if you enjoy playing those games. But, you know, I do. I feel like you can. You know, you can go to an Avengers like, movie. You're, like the, like, the most nicest and most pacifist person I know, and you're like, I love Doom 2016. <laughs> I love Doom. It's so good. And I think it's definitely okay and something that we should, you know, be promoting and something that, you know, if younger kids are playing these games and, and parents are sitting down with them, that's totally something that you can explain, that it's like, okay, this game is, like, fun and, and we enjoy playing it. I love Doom. But I also recognize that, you know, whipping out a shotgun and, like, blowing somebody's head off to solve the problems is like not the way to go about it. And I, I understand that that is unacceptable um, and perhaps not to the be all end all for what we should be shooting for. Haha, ha, shooting gun, gun jokes. Um, so, so yeah, it's okay to have those split feelings. And I think it's important to recognize when you play a game, like you can check the game. If the game itself doesn't say violence is bad, you yourself can step back and be like, violence is bad. And then that's okay. <laughs> And now shifting the perspective, as game designers, if you are going to include violence in your game, do it tactfully. That sounds like a really broad statement, and it is. But just remember the guidelines that we described that Lee Alexander wrote about. Yeah. That make sure the violence is is in the game for a reason. It's because it's necessary to the narrative, because it's absurd, or it's a sport. We did that one, admittedly. (laughs) If If it's commentary on itself, if it's optional to the game, or if it makes you feel powerful. As long as it's not just there for the sake of being there. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just... it's. I think it can be really interesting and you could come up with some new and exciting ideas when when we just kind of step back for a moment and say, okay, 
um, what would this game be like if we took out violence or if we replaced this with something else? Like, is this an integral part of the game? And if the answer is yes, that's that's okay. Of course that's okay, right? Like violence is a is a very interesting game mechanic that I think can be employed in a lot of interesting ways. So are you coming around with Magic Gathering thing or? Uh... <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, I tried. <laughs> uh, but um, I think it can be a fun, even design challenge. Yeah. Um, and so this is kind of a design challenge that I have been asking myself lately as a designer and Aiden as well. Um, and so this is a thought experiment. Don't take this seriously in terms of like, oh, like this is what we should do. Like, please don't. <laughs> but here's my my crazy idea. So what if for one year, game designers everywhere designed and all the games, you know, were released for, for the coming year that featured zero violence. They had no violence in them. And I'm not talking about only releasing puzzle games or only releasing that you like, took you take the next Dark Souls game and you take all the violence. Exactly. What, you does that, take, what does that look like? Yeah, you take the next Halo game, you take the next Dark Souls, you take the next Call of Duty and you just take out the violence. What are you left with? What can you replace it with? What what new mechanics can you think of? And I'm not posing that challenge to be like, oh like let's just take violence out of get no, I'm just saying as Is a thought experiment, what violence, would that look like? Violence plays a role in video games. That's something we're gonna that's, that's a point. Yes. But yeah. the thing is, it's something we lean on a lot. Yeah. And let's imagine it wasn't there. And that's yeah. the point of the thought experiment. And I think that could be a super, super, super interesting. <laughs> I think that could be a really, you know, exciting design challenge as I'm, a designer. I am honestly, I still like go to sleep every night. I'm just like lying in bed. I'm like, how would Dark Souls work without the balance? I don't understand. And yeah. I just don't sleep for like two hours. And that's terrible. <laughs> I think that it's a, it's a great way to start kind of breaking down those barriers of, of kind of exactly what you said. Like, oh man, like how would I do this? Just really explore. And I think it's in this way that we'll start to find new ways to tell stories and maybe, you know, do better than what has come before us and, and do violence better. And just continue to really like push this medium of video games because it is new and I think there is so much we can still do with it um and we just got to ask the hard questions to to get ourselves there on that inspirational note we'll see everyone next time all right everybody take care oh we'll see you in the new year actually this is the last episode of 2018 so as this is the last episode of the year for 2018 it's time for the the panic mode awards this is the the inaugural season of the panic mode awards and no, this is not just uh, an award show I'm putting on to say this is an award-winning podcast. Great. But we can't say that now. Just, can we, just, can we, put, just, can we like, stamp that on the front? Just fun fact. <laughs> but we're going to have uh, five categories Kay. this year. I like and it. And the first one is the best sign-off. And Ooh. unfortunately, the Paddock Mode Awards are exempt from the, the best sign-off this year. Oh, that's strange. So it's going to be too bad. So the nominees are, for the best sign-off of 2018 for Panic Mode, are uh, episode one, which is Shelby Can't Win at Crip. She couldn't win that last hand against Adam oh, there, both at one point. That was a good one. Episode four, Shelby versus crying in video games, where Jesse Shell said that video games don't make you cry, and you were like, um, yes, they can. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was, <laughs> I remember that, okay. Episode nine, where we play all the loot box sounds. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. Episode 10, where you had the voice acting battle with Patrick Kiki Jr. Oh, that was also good. Do you have any predictions on the winner? This was, this was selected by a committee, th- handpicked. <laughs> okay, great. Excessive voting process. Um, I think uh, I think it was the uh, the emotional one because I talked about Ori in the Blind Forest. <laughs> that was the close runner up. The the winner was actually the voice acting battle. Oh, okay, Kitty that was, Jr. that was a pretty good one too. That was a lot of fun. All right, the next category is the best host. Wait, who won that voice acting? Wait, no, I don't want to know. Never, Patrick won. Okay, anyway, please. <laughs> yes, he did win. Yeah, he, he won two to zero. If I oh. if I recall my stupid points correctly. All right, the best host. Oh. The nominees are Shelby. Oh, I see. And Aiden. 
Oh my goodness! Who would have thought? Any predictions on who the winner is? Um, well, <laughs> no, actually, I couldn't. I couldn't really say. Well, the committee said it was a very tight vote. Oh, okay. But it looks like the winner this year is. Shelby. Oh, it's really? Yeah, oh my goodness. It. I'm honored. So this is kind of a, this is a bad beat for me because yeah. I know like I have to be kind of unbiased as the host of the Panic Mode Awards, but I would have really liked to have been an award-winning Panic, <laughs> award-winning podcast host after this. That's true. Then that maybe next I'll, year. I'll share it with I'm gonna, you. I'm a podcast, I'm an award-nominated podcast host. That's true. You can always put that on your resume. <laughs> All right. So this next category, this is the most referenced game. Oh, oh my God. Is it Ori in the Blind Forest? <laughs> Ori in the Blind Forest is the first nominee. <laughs> the second nominee is... Magic the Gathering. Oh, that's, yeah, that could be up there, too. Third one, (laughs) Tic-Tac-Toe. And number four, Vampire Masquerade Bloodlines. Oh, my goodness. And just by the way, I'm just looking at this list. Like, I don't think I could think of anything that would put these four games together on one list together. Yeah, the Tic-Tac-Toe one really threw, but yeah, yeah, it's just so bad. We referenced it a lot. Any predictions on the winner? I think it's already in the Blind Forest. It is Magic the Gathering. Oh my goodness. This was carefully tabulated, but Aiden would not shut up about it. That's your, it's that's true. also me. Okay, well that makes sense. I can live with that. I need to, obviously I need to bring up Ori in the Blind Forest more, so that's fine. So the next category is the best uh, opening joke about oh. the hosts. That, you notice every episode we open with like, we're the hosts with funny noses and stuff like that. Yeah. So we're going to we're gonna talk about what the best one of those was. Okay, great. I'm ready. So uh, the nominations are uh, episode three, where we were the professional Bloodborne speedrunners. Cool. Uh, episode 4, where we're the people with the purple hair. That was good. <laughs> uh, episode 8, where we're the people who replayed the tutorials in an RPG after forgetting, after not playing for a couple oh, weeks or whatever. That's, yeah. That's, that was, that was that one hit that was hard. <laughs> and uh, episode 9, where we were moral philosophy uh, majors. I'm going to say Bloodborne speedrunners. With people with the purple hair. Oh actually, my goodness. <laughs> because uh, that was a really funny one, because no one could actually deny that. And that's true. It's really funny because I actually have pink hair right now, but that's, that's besides the point. <laughs> All right, and the final category. Oof. The best episode of oh, 2018. Oh my goodness. So this is uh, this is just kind of the best all-around episode. The most entertaining, the most informative. Okay. Just the best all-around. And you said it, could, it couldn't be this one? Uh, no, no. Only the this sign-off was exempt from the sign-off. Oh, one. so but it this episode. Be this but to be fair, we just recorded this episode, so I don't know. That's true. I have no idea if it's good. So I guess, it, I guess it is exempt. And it's, it is not a nominee. <laughs> all as right. It is. I understand. So the best episode. The nominations are episode two, top-down versus bottom-up game design. Mm. Episode four, narrative design in video games. Mm. Episode 6, Applied Game Design Theory. And Episode 9, Monetization. Oof. Any predictions? Narrative. Oof. No, you are 0 for 5 on predictions, but I'm it terrible is, at uh, this. Applied Game Design Theory is the episode of the year for Panic Mode. Oh, what was that one about? That was where we, <laughs> that was where we talked about why Monopoly is a bad game. Oh, yeah. That. That was just Monopoly a, was is a really a bad fun game. episode. And the, uh, the committee really appreciated that episode. It was oh, really I'm glad. informative. It was a lot of fun. And I'm so glad. It was, a, it was a really standout episode this year. That's really special. I'm so happy. <laughs> anyway, so the, the Panic Mode Awards will be back for its second season at the end of 2019. Awesome. I look forward to it. And uh, Aiden will hopefully have a better run at the best host category, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I guess it depends who the committee is. Yeah, it really does. Because they, they clearly favored me this time around. They did favor Perhaps me Perhaps next year. That's, that's how it works. <laughs> we'll get some new blood and it'll be different. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Panic Mode. As a bonus piece, if anyone is interested in checking out a new non-violent game that doesn't feature any violence or combat, please check out Gris. I just recently played it and I seriously loved it and would highly recommend. You can play it on Steam or Nintendo Switch. This is not sponsored. I just really love the game. You can reach us on social media at panicmode.net, all spelled out, or on our website, panicmode.net. 
We would love to hear any comments, questions, or feedback you have about today's episode. And we'll be back next year where we'll talk toxicity in game design. We'll see you then. Bye.